probably what I tried to do over the last two years is build a holistic approach, as I mentioned before, to well-being at the workplace. And that does not mean uh, ice cream every day for everybody, even with these temperatures today, it would not be bad, but it would, would probably not be economically viable because at the end, the impact of giving ice cream every day is not so high that you can justify to continue with that the entire summer. So, but it's rather meaning taking a holistic view on health and well-being by giving a context where people can be the best version of themselves. Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Hub podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today it is my great pleasure to welcome Enrico Palumbo, who is joining me from a very hot Switzerland. Hello, Enrico. <laughs> Hello, Agnes. Thank you for having me. So let me just quickly um, introduce Enrico to the listeners and just also mentioning that we're recording this special episode ahead of the Zukunft Personal Europe 2018 Conference and Expo, which is going to be held in Cologne between the 11th and the 13th of September. And Enrico is one of the uh, keynote speakers. And this is what uh, is bringing us together in, in the framework of this podcast. Enrico is the HR Director and member of the management board at SAP Switzerland. And over the past 15 years, he has worked in different roles and functions across HR in different sectors and countries as well. And Enrico is particularly interested in how technology can support great workplace experiences and foster employee engagement. He is a member of the SAP International Coaching Pool and SAP Internal Co-Trainer for Search Inside Yourself. So we have already a lot of food for thought and great uh, material for our conversation. Before we get going, may I ask you, Enrico, to tell listeners about yourself, about your passion, your career, and what is it that drives you in this field? Yeah, the, the side that many people also in my own company don't know for me is that in my first professional life, I worked as a journalist in the radio for different radio stations in Germany, running radio programs, preparing features, presenting news, entertainment. And this is for four years, full-time, and then continued while I was studying. And then in that period, I, transitioning, I was transitioning slowly, so to say, from one profession to the other. When I sometimes today hear these conversations about shifts and people moving into different professions, it connects quite nicely with my own experience where I changed job after 14 years. And I'm very happy that I did so. When you ask what, get, what makes me get up in the morning, then it's really creating conditions for sustainable happiness and well-being at the workplace. That might sound a bit uh, mystic, but I think at the end of the day, well-being is more than the absence of illness. It's a state where individuals can explore their talents and drive their personal and professional development. And that might sometimes also mean move from one job to another within the your same company or 
also across different companies or even different industries. And I think it's important that when we say conditions for sustainable happiness, that sustainable means it's economically viable for the employer and at the same time purposeful for the individual. If I look at my kids, they are 10 and 12, a uh, daughter and a son. They are belonging to a cohort that has a life expectancy in average of more than 100 years. So in this 100-year life, they will spend much of that life working, working probably in different roles, in different ways, in different formats. Um, so I think it's really important that we think about how we can create conditions at the workplace that people can become and be the very best of themselves, whatever that means then for the individual. Excellent. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, and there's already been such great nuggets of, of wisdom in your introduction. Um, before we move on to really the, the main uh, focus of the, the conversation, I also know that in addition to your own work, you also have decided to organize with four other organizations a special uh, HR award in Switzerland. So also giving the opportunity to shine the light on, on the work of others. And you have just completed the first round of applications. So would you like to tell listeners a little bit, you know, why you decided to, to launch such an award and, and how it is organized and what it's about? Yeah, the the... The Innovate HR Award was actually born out of a number of conversations I had with different people where professions like me, you, many of our listeners, we every day with good intentions do a lot of things in our organizations and across the different countries where we live and different industries we work, we face in our profession similar challenges. And each of us is trying to overcome obstacles, be resilient in probably difficult economic times, understand how we can face the challenges of demography. Still, I sometimes feel, at least if I look at the traditional ways where um, uh, magazines report, we, we don't do much on facilitating exchange. And I think there's also a lot of smart ideas in small, mid-sized companies because they are sometimes more challenged probably when it comes to attracting talent than big companies who can, with a, a well-known brand name, attract people. So there are a lot of smart ideas where people think how we can reactivate parts of the population that are outside of the workforce today and can bring them back to work for example, or how we can deal with the changing uh, expectations at the workplace that people have and companies have. So all these innovations that happen in processes and programs that HR is driving sometimes are not known. Still, we could learn a lot. So I had this idea, and together with Professor Antoinette Weibel from the University of St. Gallen and with the um, most important newspaper in the country, Neuzürche Zeitung, and with a partner from consulting, Deloitte, we launched this award to encourage, actually, other companies in Switzerland to share what they do and then uh, also at the end choose a winner. But for me, choosing the winner is only part of the process of bringing the community together to actively exchange on these topics that are challenging for every, almost every HR person today. I think that's great because it, it very much resonates, I think, with me, but also probably with a lot of listeners that even though so much is accessible online 
and from TED talks to websites, nothing beats the personal contact, nothing beats the face-to-face conversations when you listen to somebody's challenges and how they've overcome them and, and, and what they figured out in their organization. So I just wanted to congratulate you because I think this is a really important initiative. Thank you. Now, moving on a little bit, um, so you are going to be speaking at Zukunft Personal and Zukunft Personal each year takes a special angle and focuses on a topic and, and this year's topic is permanent beta. So, so how does this resonate you and with your experience and, and your work? Um, what is your take on this new and perhaps challenging mindset to think of HR and people policies and workplaces as, as being in constant evolution and, and not necessarily, you know, finding or, or, or achieving the final outcome by a certain deadline? I think for for me, of course, permanent beta coming from the software, world of software with SAP, it's a common term. And I saw also when we were in my previous world when I was supporting um, uh, uh, as HR business partner in the global function application development uh, five years ago, four years ago, I saw also the shift happening and what does it mean for the development organization to change from a traditional approach to a more agile development for our cloud solutions. And so I understand also when, when we refer this now to the world of work, and the way HR works, there is no change management where we transition from a point A to a defined point B because there's market pull and technology push and changing expectations. So that we are rather in an iterative, continuous loop of improving, adjusting, trying out that probably with some analytics, we can spare some of the trying out because we have better ways to predict and understand what actually, for example, is needed by, by the employees, but I fully understand that for an organization, this permanent beta is a new reality, but also for the individual as job requirements are changing, my personal brand, my profile, how I work, skills I need, also the kind of work I want to do. So when I, as I said before, when I went starting my professional life in the radio, it was more because I was linked and hooked by the music. Um, At some point, I realized that the content of work was not, at least for me, so satisfying that I imagined to do it for another 40 years and I wanted to travel and see other countries, which in the role that I took in, in different HR functions, I was able to realize. So individual is changing needs be it because of uh, we mature, being because of we have a partner, whatever. So that means on the other side, probably it's an important element that people learn to have that awareness on what actually they want, how the environment is changing, and how they, these two elements can be brought together. I also think that what you mentioned there is is what we quite often Um, tackle here on the podcast and that's about who has ownership of your career who has ownership of your working life and probably back in the day it used to be the organization who could set you on a development path or in a career path 
But this responsibility is also now shifting to the individual and not everybody may be very comfortable with taking quite dramatic um, choices or changes and also taking a lot of risks like you have. Yeah, that's true. And I think what, what we as organization can do is, in all fairness, guide people, help them understand how the environment is changing and help them reflect on the impact this is having for them. So help them basically read and understand the environment and also help them explore what needs they have and then have an honest conversation to which extent the organization can support to fulfill these elements. What do I want to do at a certain point of my life? If I want to stick to a certain role that in that organization is vanishing, then I probably need to change the organization. On the other side, we as employers need to support people in building and starting early enough, building that plan if they want to embark on the journey, say this role is going away because of ABC. This is the path where we see these, how, where, how you with your skills and the roles we need in the organization, the future can continue. It's not an easy conversation, but it's better to have that at an early point of time because the later, the longer we wait, the more difficult it is for the individual and for the organization to confront the situation. I was exactly wanting to zoom in on this that you just mentioned about this, having this honest conversation about needs, about aspiration, about skills. We, we, saw, we also talk a lot about the ideal worker type and, and people trying to, employees trying to fit a certain expectation that is given to them by the employer. And, and there's still a, a quite a relatively strong power relationship between employers and employees. Do you think it's possible to create the this enabling environment to have these honest um, conversations? And and what would be your suggestions on, on how to achieve this and, and whether perhaps you in your organizations have already achieved this? We run a program last year for colleagues in the age of 55 plus, where, because we're a big organization, not to everybody in the age group, but to selected people, and then we will continue with the second wave. We actually had that conversation through the manager, but also with support from an external coach. Where we said, look, you are now at a certain point in your life. We know that the industry, the market, our organization is changing. We want you to take a moment time, step back and reflect in a guided process with an external coach to think about what is it you want to do in the next 15 years, just to avoid that we, like people in a marriage, the stereotype, we just continue because we used to it. So have a kind of enforced wake up call, but still in a protected environment where we say whatever these people discuss with the external coach, I would not know and their managers would not know. It's really for them a situation where with the professional guidance, they can open up, talk about their fears, concerns, dreams. Probably they always wanted to open a kiosk and sell sausages or probably they love their job and just don't have a clear understanding what are the gaps and knowledge they have to fill to be successful in the next 10 years like they have been in the last 10 years, whatever these topics are. Um, and then at the beginning, people felt a bit was touchy because they said, ah, but is this now because you want us to leave? And then we said, no, it's because we want you to stay. 
and but if you leave, it's also can also be an outcome of the process. But everything is better than just to think or assume everything continues as normal, like in the last 30 years, because that definitely will not be the case. And not because of you are different or you are wrong or something is wrong with you, just the way the environment is changing. And we need to have that reflective conversation. And of course, it's more important to have that with people who are more mature, because if then something goes wrong and the disconnect to the demand the organization has, is becoming bigger. For them, it's more difficult in the external workplace to find other roles. It's not because they are not productive like young people, but simply because the external environment makes it more difficult for them to change. So the process of considering, do I want to change, should start early if possible. No, that's really interesting to hear. And thank you very much for sharing this uh, example, because in any case, I wanted to ask you about um, SAP, because SAP has been recognized a number of times for the great working conditions it offers. Um, SAP Switzerland was also recognized in 2018 for top employer and great place to work. And in addition, you were also awarded a special recognition for employability. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, what's your secret formula? How do you approach employment and work at SAP Switzerland? I think we got a little taste here, but, but maybe you have some other examples or, or would like to share a little bit the overall philosophy. What is probably what I tried to do over the last two years is build a holistic approach, as I mentioned before, to well-being at the workplace. And that does not mean uh, ice cream every day for everybody, even with these temperatures today, it would not be bad, but it would, would probably not be economically viable because at the end, the impact of giving ice cream every day is not so high that you can justify to continue with that the entire summer. So, but it's rather meaning taking a holistic view on health and well-being by giving a context where people can be the best version of themselves, where we choose and promote those leaders that really want to lead people. That's why we on the other side encourage people and give emphasis that sometimes we have big posters here in the, in the office that says sometimes you just need an expert to say expert roles, especially in a product-oriented company like SAP, are important. People should not feel that they need to become managers just to have the feeling they make a career move or progression because in the end they don't enjoy managing people. It's bad for them and it's bad for the people they manage. So by selecting and promoting the right people into leadership roles, those that are multipliers, you can do good things for many other people. Taking a holistic approach means to health and well-being. Yeah, we do the usual fit for fun stuff and company triathlon, but we also do prevention in a way that is probably a bit particular. No? Normally you think with prevention, you identify certain groups uh, uh, based on the risk assessment. I started last year a program that was not linked to age, but to tenure in the job. Because of my own experience and from what I observed talking to the people, my understanding is after, like in we know from honeymoon, I know you have lived in different countries and moved across different uh, countries. Oh, there's this honeymoon period, and then there's a form where you stabilize, and then probably there's a form, a moment where you become routine, and probably where you also build bad, unhealthy habits. So I said, let's take focus on the employees who are with us one and a half years, 
and offer them a health check that is really health check on their body conditions like blood tests and that stuff, stress level tests, but also again with an external coach or coaching with the focus on understanding, do they feel this, they're building the right habits? Have they established not only professional, but also in the work with this change to working for SAP now here in Switzerland, um, is, are they on the right way? And we had immense positive feedback from the participants. So these are some of the examples that probably lead then to this acknowledgement also in the external market here in Switzerland. No, I think it's really great. And, and what really comes across is that you really put in mechanisms to listen to the employees, to give them almost unsolicited opportunities because we usually, I think everybody expects some, some uh, milestones in a career when you come to a certain um, moment when you need to have a serious conversation. But I really like it that you take this very proactive approach and think they may not even think you know, one and a half years into their role or 55 plus, but it's maybe for them only just a hunch or circumstances changing, but you actively take these steps towards them and offer them these opportunities to express themselves with the help of a coach, really unbiased and an independent, uh, safe environment. So I think that's really, really interesting. Now, now coming a little bit to your other passion topics, which you feel quite strong about, which is about technology and AI and robots and smart machines. And I really like the fact that you mentioned that you started out in journalism because there's no day without a headline about robots stealing our jobs and, and, and really also sometimes very uninformed articles about AI and what the future looks like and, and how this will impact the jobs and the labor market. And as SAP is, of course, at the forefront of some of this technology, what is your view on this? And, and especially, what do you think employers, managers can and should already start doing now to prepare for a smooth transition or to, to embrace these this new trends and changes? Yeah, it's an important topic you mentioned, Agnes. Let me, let me take it piece by piece. So first on the... On the hype or, as you said, the headlines we see in newsletters. I think there's, like in everything, uh, two sides. I think we will see application of artificial intelligence in many, many areas. The other technologies you mentioned, they can really disrupt existing business models and they can change job profiles and certain jobs will simply vanish. They would not exist any longer. On the other side, I'm also confident that artificial intelligence and other technologies will help to automate routine work and spare then for the individual more time to focus on tasks that really require human judgment, creativity, and thought. And I think it's what we see is shift happening, but that is not new. If I look back into industrialization 200 years ago, where people or society moved from agriculturally focused to manufacturing, there were also changes for society and people. One big change was urbanization. People moved to where the work was, the factory in the city. Today, with the independence technology is giving, we see the other trend. People 
don't need to be in the cities anymore. Some still want to be because of the lifestyle, but you're not longer in many roles, at least in many jobs, not longer forced to be at a specific place at a specific time to deliver your work. So generations that come, as, my, as I mentioned my kids before, they will not even know what a time clock was. So, no. And, and I think if we then ask on the other side, again, in, in industrial area, the machines took away the dirty and dangerous work. Now I think we see the potential that dull work or work that is emotionally exhausting is substituted. If I think everybody, almost everybody had that situation on a train or plane or other moments where there is some issue and you need to go to some service desk and you are angry and frustrated and the poor person who's sitting at this desk is not having enough information to provide proper information to all these people who are queuing up and want to change their tickets and whatever. So for this person, it must be a terrible day. Yeah, and probably very exhausting work. If I have then a smart machine that is helping me to steer this flow of people who has certain questions and need to go through a certain procedure without being emotionally stressed, it's even better. Or if I look, another example that I find very fascinating, we have in the University of Stanford, a scientist who basically built a chatbot that can help people to cope with feelings of depression and anxiety. So if I look at how many people in how many countries have long waiting lists for people who want to see a doctor for therapy, having that type of technology uh, applied in that context is really allowing to improve human condition. No, I think that's really fascinating. And, and you know, probably we're not even conscious of some of the burdens that technology has already alleviated for us. Um, I mean, I don't know anybody's phone number by heart anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to know, of course, as a child, my grandparents' phone number and my home phone number and my best friend's phone number. And I don't know nobody's phone number anymore. And, and it's all these little things that have eroded, that have taken up space on our brain hard drive and are no longer doing it and, and probably we're not even noticing this anymore. On the other side, it's also true if you look at the Gartner study on the hype cycle for emerging technologies, they see machine learning still in the face of peak of inflated expectations as they call it. I really like that inflated expectations because we are still in the phase where we think yeah, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning will come up everywhere. On the other side, if we take a simple process that exists in almost any organization that is forecast, organization wants to understand how much money do I make so I can spend, I can hire people, whatever. So you can do a forecast and then depending on if you're stock quoted, you probably need to be more precise or you want to be more precise. If you're family-owned business, you probably don't care so much. But the forecast process is something that probably you can if you follow for some time, you can be using an algorithm, you can easily come to a number that is as precise as the whole enchilada of meetings you're going through in your organization, especially if it's a global organization. However, it would be, in my view at least, it would be an illusion to say, 
I can skip all these calls starting Monday morning, 8.30, and then continuing uh, through the hierarchies of the organization uh, in different layers. I can skip all these calls because I have the forecast algorithm that tells me how much revenue I will make because there is a social dimension in the process. Yes, the humans, yeah. The humans, yeah. And then in some organizations, it's probably trust and people ask, what do you need to make your numbers? And in other, it's fear. If you don't make your numbers, you will be fired. Whatever is the, is the way people lead, there is a social dimension. So even if I run it in parallel and come to the same numbers, substituting this human interaction, in my view, would not give the same numbers if I leave the human dimension out. Yes. No, that's that's true, and I think that's generally true for all of these developments. That um, that there is still a very very strong human uh, element in there. That probably companies like Facebook are discovering now that algorithms are not not the A and the O, but but they need to take into consideration also the feelings of people and and their unpredictable human reactions. And the other thing I think that is very encouraging, again, looking at the next generation, my kids growing up, uh, know some, some parents are scared and think, but how, what will their jobs, how will they find the right? I think we also have to acknowledge, yes, shift in what skills and competencies are required and what jobs appear and what jobs vanish is happening faster than in the age of industrialization. On the other side, people have much easier access also to education compared to 10 or 5 or 20 years ago. Today, I can be anywhere as long as I have a good internet connection. I can go into massive open online courses, Coursera. Um, I can uh, go to open SAP, open HPI. I can go to the platform of Stanford and, and take educational classes. Then at some point, I probably need to pay if I want to really have a proper degree. But to build knowledge, I have so easy access today like I never had before. Yes. No, I, I totally agree. I absolutely agree. Now, before we go to the last question, because time is always um, much faster when recording a podcast. Um, before we go to the last question, may I ask you, Enrico, to tell listeners where they can read more about your work, where they can find the award, um, where they can um, get maybe in touch with you? I think the easiest way is going through LinkedIn with my profile, Enrico Palumbo. I think there's one other person. He is an entrepreneur in New York. <laughs> we have been by... That's not that's you. That's <laughs> not me. Um, although we exchange mails on some circumstances when we found out that people were addressing each other by confusing each other. But uh, Enrico Palumbo, SAP, if you find me, uh, search in LinkedIn, easy to find. And there you see also links to the award and to some blogs I've written. And I continuously post there what comes to my, my mind. Uh, and then, of course, in uh, in Cologne, in the yeah, Zukunft Personal, that uh, uh, is an opportunity to see me in person. That's great. Before we, we close this, this great conversation, what are maybe two, three keywords um, of your upcoming presentation at Zukunft Personal Europe that you can, you know, give a little bit of a teaser to audience? What is going to be the, the, the main topic and focus of your presentation? Mm. For, for me, it's... Uh, in Cologne, it will be about, we need to, I, I believe we need to understand our employees and managers as consumers because they, they work 
in an environment that is not isolated from the rest of their life, hopefully. So whatever services we provide, the benchmark is not what HR and the other company they've been working before did or what uh, we in HR did two years ago here, but the benchmark is now the app they have on their smartphone that they use in terms of mobile access, uh, intuitive uh, usage, simplicity, and this is how we need to deliver our processes and the programs we have in an agile and user-friendly way. And that also means we cannot uh, tweak old processes and believe we are digital, but we really need to shift from a transactional to digital way of, of working in HR. And I will give some examples on how this shift can be done based on, on my work here in Switzerland, starting from ways of involving virtual reality into onboarding, to a more holistic approach, supporting employee engagement and happiness at the workplace. It sounds really interesting. I, for one, am really looking forward to listening to your presentation in Cologne and to meeting you in person. And for now, I just wanted to say thank you, Enrico, for taking the time and joining me on this podcast for this really, really great conversation. Thank you, Agnes, for having me and looking forward to see you and other listeners then in Cologne. It's a good